You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They can't be like Packers. You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Lee. Follow me on Twitter at JJLAHEY. You can send me uh, DMs there. You can also text or call my Google Voice number 231 714 4195. And you can send in questions for the show. You can talk about uh, draft prospects that you like. There's a lot that we can talk about. Um, here over the next uh, couple of months as we are waiting on compensation for Aaron whenever that is going to be revealed and preparing for the draft. Um, definitely really <sighs> torn, torn on what I want the Packers to do this year in the draft because my head says take the best guy you can get. And that's probably going to be an edge rusher or a corner. And I know that that is the correct way to do business. <laughs> you know, if Christian Gonzalez is there at pick 13, uh, sorry, pick 15, I'm getting ahead of myself. You know, you probably need to take him. I don't really want another corner. I think we have a lot of corners, but. So yeah, it's a, it's a battle between the heart and the head for me, and the heart wants them to go all offense, go get some skill players, get us a tight end for once. I uh, really love Michael Mayer. Get us a wide receiver or multiple wide receivers early. Um, find us a right tackle. You know, love Yash Nyman, but we certainly can upgrade. <laughs> but again, a lot of this hinges on the Aaron Rodgers trade compensation and I actually have you know as we as we are sitting here waiting trying to figure out what the heck is going to happen I have an inside source I know it's shocking but it's true I have a guy in the Jets front office who bugged Joe Douglas's phone and recorded a phone call between him and Brian Gutekunst uh, give it a listen this is it's it's revealing 
honestly, about where they're at in the process. Hey, Brian, it's Joe Douglas. Joe, good to hear from you. I presume you're calling to accept my offer. Actually, I'm calling you to counter offer. You may have a second round pick, a conditional fourth round pick next year, and Corey Davis. Come on, that's a good deal. No. Okay, how about I bump that up to a conditional third next year? No. Come on, Brian, don't bust my balls here. We both know you can't keep Aaron. You can't afford him. My price is firm. Number 13, Jermaine Johnson and Jordan Whitehead. I'll give you Carl Lawson and Corey Davis. Goodbye, Joe. Don't call me again unless you're going to tell me, Brian. I'll give you what you want. Will you pay Aaron's contract? I'll throw in an extra third round pick. Brian? So, some pretty shocking stuff there. I mean, obviously, they're just not close to getting this deal done. Um, you know, just not seeing eye to eye. So, um, until things move around a bit, we're, we're, we're stuck in a holding pattern waiting for them to come to an agreement. Actually, um, you know, not that they can't do business on the road or anything, but Goody has been doing his tour, going around to all the pro days. He is extremely busy. Um, scouting for the upcoming draft. He was at the Iowa State uh, Pro Day yesterday, Monday, and uh, Tuesday, sorry. And then uh, today, Wednesday, he is at the Ohio State Pro Day. Uh, and of course, I did a podcast a few weeks ago with an Ohio State uh, beat writer, uh, Nathan Baird, talking about guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Paris Johnson Jr., the uh, left tackle prospect, and, and a few other guys like Zach Harrison, the defensive end, who all make sense as Packers um, uh, targets in the, honestly, in the first round or, or maybe the second round in the case of uh, Zach Harrison. So do go give that a listen if you haven't listened to it already. Okay, meat and potatoes. I'm excited about the future for the Packers. And this is not based on what I think Jordan Love is going to be. It is based on what Brian Gutekunst has decided to be. And that is to, again, be the guy who takes the reins and executes his vision for the team. There's... A lot of opinions out there about Brian Gutekunst, but if you had to really boil it down to the biggest main groups of people, there is a, I think, somewhat small contingent of fans who fiercely defend Brian Gutekunst and most of the things that he does. And then I think there is a much larger uh, segment of the fan base who really thinks that he's kind of an idiot and the, uh, that viewpoint is, I believe boosted and amplified by the voice of the mainstream, um, NFL, uh, national media. All right. The, the guys who cover many, many teams and have an overly simplistic view of the green Bay Packers because they don't follow the Packers very closely and don't really know what's going on. And all they know is, well, you know, um, everybody that I have ever heard talk about the Packers in the last few years says they need wide receivers. And, you know, this guy is just too frazzle and dumb to draft a wide receiver. So he must suck. And um, coupling that with 
there have been heavy expectations over the last few years that Goody would go draft a wide receiver or and, and every single time free agency rolls around, whether that is uh, now in the off season um, when there are uh, big name veteran free agent, well, not this year, but <laughs> most years there's big name veteran free agent wide receivers available um, or, uh, you know, as we're approaching the trade deadline, it's like, oh, come on, why doesn't he uh, go try and trade for Odell from the Browns or uh, Hopkins from the Cardinals or Brandon Cooks from whatever team he happens to have been traded to earlier that year? Because Brandon Cooks can't stay on a team for more than like two years to save his life. Will Fuller from the Texans. Like every year there are uh, – Wide receivers either in the draft or free agency or uh, as as trade candidates that Packers fans and uh, Packers uh, bloggers and podcasters and reporters will kind of hone in on and say, this guy really makes sense. Uh, you know, this I, I think this is a Packers wide receiver. I think that, you know, this guy is really good. I think this guy is fits a particular need in the Packers offense and Goody never often never goes after these players or do, just doesn't see it as the right value. You know, um, the, the Texans wanted a second round pick for Will Fuller. Um, or do they want, do they want a first round pick? I know they wanted at least a second, whatever it was. Um, Goody was offering one round lower. I think he was offering a third and they were asking for a second, but it might have been that he was offering a second and they were asking a first. And the, the Will Fuller example is nice because that was one where everybody agreed. Like Will Fuller is the guy. This is who Green Bay needs to go get. It's the perfect fit. This will kind of push you over the top. And then the deal didn't get done and everybody was mad for like five minutes. And then promptly <laughs> Will Fuller gets suspended for the next uh, two thirds of a season or something, it was like I think he got suspended for like eight games or something. So I guess half a season um, for uh, PED uh, NFL policy violations, and it was like that went away immediately. <laughs> Everybody was so frustrated they didn't get a deal done. Then Fuller gets suspended and basically never really plays at a high level again. Maybe maybe he will still turn it on, but I mean this is we are. Are we two years away or three years removed from from that happening? I think it's two years. We're two years removed from that happening, and he has never been any kind of a a presence on the field since. So, <laughs> so, so that's a nice example. But that's really been it. It's been the frustration from fans that they don't feel he's doing enough to address the wide receiver position, um, and. And then you, you know, that is then amplified by the national media. And I'm, I am a little surprised that this whole Rogers trade thing has not to a much more dramatic degree increased frustration that, that people think that he's an idiot. Oh, it has to a small degree, but not to the humongous degree that like Odell choosing to sign with the Rams over the Packers, you know, that was a humongous um, 
turning point, you know, you know where where a, a chunk of the fan base who previously didn't hate Gudikins kind of changed their minds and were like, "Man, this guy's an idiot! I can't believe he didn't go get Odell." And Odell goes to the Rams and they win a Super Bowl. I don't know what to tell you, man. They tried. They were in the mix. They were a serious contender to land Odell. And Odell said, I would rather live in Los Angeles than in the middle of Wisconsin. Gee. <laughs> Shocking. Yep, definitely Brian Goodkin's fault. Anyways, so if we're way oversimplifying, those are kind of the two camps. And, and you got a very loud and I think pretty big contingent of Packer fans who uh, really can't stand the guy. And then... Probably a, a much smaller segment of fans who really love the guy. And then in the middle, you got guys, you know, fans who, um, maybe they lean a little bit more neutral, but have a generally positive feeling about him mixed with, I wish he would do XYZ. And it's disappointing to me that he doesn't. All right. And so if, if we are making those generalities, I certainly fall much more in line with the uh, very vocal Gudekunst fans, all right? I like him a lot. The last two years, 2021 and 2022, I've had much, much more frustration with Brian than I have at any point in his tenure, all right? 2018, he comes in. I, I didn't really uh, super... Love the draft class at the time. Um, I think I had kind of missed out on any of the Jair Alexander hype leading up to the draft. And he just didn't excite me that much. It was not the position that I really wanted them to address, which is kind of stupid in hindsight because they really needed corner. Um, it was just an, uh, sort of an uninformed um opinion that I had. I, I was not super closely following the Packers draft at that point. And we had just come off of the 2017 season and watching the Brent Hunley debacle. And what I really wanted more than anything, and this was again, a priority for me the following year in 2019. Uh, yeah. So the 2018 draft, what I really wanted them to do was address the backup quarterback position because we had, had some extensive missed time already for Aaron Rodgers. And then the 2017 season came around. I was just like, I was so frustrated because 2017, of course, is the year that we watch Nick Foles go win a Super Bowl for the Eagles. And I'm, I was just like pulling my hair out that we had to watch Brett freaking Hundley and saying, I don't understand why we have to, to put up with this garbage. Like, let's prioritize the backup quarterback position. And the funny, the funny thing is, of course, but is, but by the time the 2020 draft rolled around and we did spend a first round pick on a quarterback who would be Aaron's backup for three years, I, I no longer had that as one of my top priorities. But it's funny because in 2017 and 2018, that was what I really did want. So, um, or the, the 2018, 2019 drafts. So he comes in and he drafts um, Jair, and I didn't really want Jair, and I was, I I don't know, I I was um, definitely relieved that we had moved on from 
Ted Thompson and I liked the Gudikins tire and I, I didn't have a super strong opinion about how I felt he was doing in year one. And then he goes and he signs Preston and Zedarius and Amos and Billy Turner. And I knew immediately that I didn't like Billy Turner. And then everybody else, I was like, I don't know. I mean, this seems cool, but I don't really know these guys. You know, none of them were, were big name players who we had been talking about. And I, I was intrigued because I thought, I don't know, maybe these guys could really come in and make a big difference. And you know what, in the, uh, I, I guess that was the following year in, in the 2019 season, you know, again, there was a draft that I was not super geeked about. Um, I really did not like Rashawn Gary as a prospect. Um, uh, didn't really know anything about Darnell Savage. You know, he's from Maryland. I'm like, oh, I don't really know about Maryland being that impressive of a defense this past season. And then, you know, they're, they're taking a guard in the second round. I'm like, geez, I don't know. I don't know about this, this guy as a drafter. This is kind of crazy, but his vision started to take over for the Packers and he spends all this money in 2019 in free agency. We have our new head coach and I, um, I, I was, um, I think kind of early to the, we need to fire Mike McCarthy wagon. Um, I think I got, frustrated to the point of wanting to fire him. Um, I mean, back as early as 2017, for sure, I was like completely out on, on bringing him back. And I, I felt like it was kind of a wasted season because I was so frustrated about how 2016 had gone. And I just felt like, I don't, I don't know what we're doing, wasting time here in 2017 with Mike McCarthy. Like we know it's not working. And then, you know, you don't even really get to, feel that you have a good handle on how good things are going because Aaron's not there and you're like, okay, how much of this is Mike's fault? How much of this is just based on the fact that Brett Hundley freaking sucks? 2019, it's all coming together. And I was so unbelievably excited in the 2019 preseason. And I felt like I think we're about to be like really sneaky good. Now I was nervous, very nervous about the Chicago bears because they had just won the division the prior year. They went 13 and three, um, you know, very, very, very good defense. I was nervous about them, but I really felt like I think I'm starting to see the new vision for this Packers team. Of course, as 2019 goes along, there's a lot of frustrations about the offense. It feels like the receivers are just not good enough. It feels like um, Jimmy Graham is a complete waste of time. And it felt like Aaron was sabotaging the Packers offense unintentionally, but still the outcome was that there's a vision for the Packers offense and it requires Aaron to do X, Y, Z. It requires him to throw over the middle. It requires him to throw to the guy that the play has been drawn up for. It requires him to throw it at the right time and lead the guy so he can get all the yards after the catch. It requires us to run the ball. And by the way, Aaron Jones is being a freaking stud. <laughs> what do you have, 19 touchdowns that season? It was incredible. And I fully bought in in 2019 
to this vision that Brian Gutekunst had. And I, I still didn't like him as a drafter at that point because I still didn't uh, like Jair Alexander. Um, I definitely didn't like Rashawn Gary. Uh, Darnell Savage was starting to come along and impress, but you know, nobody else from the 2018 draft class, you know, MBS was a disappointment. Um, uh, Jamon and EQ were disappointments. Josh, what the heck was that guy's name? Josh Jackson. Thank you. Holy crap. Josh Jackson seemingly was a massive disappointment and turned out to be. I, I, and I just, I, I was not bought into him as a drafter. And I was at that point, I was pretty much of the opinion that a lot of people still are today of like, let's just trade some of our draft picks for some proven vets. Let's go get a veteran wide receiver. Um, go ahead and spend, you know, give away some of our draft picks because I don't think that we're drafting very well anyways. Now you fast forward that 2019 draft class ended up uh, so far aging pretty darn well. You got two slam dunk home run hits in the first two rounds Rashawn Gary and Elton Jenkins that in of itself without anything else panning out at all. That is a successful draft. Now, Darnell Savage, we got a couple good years out of, and then he really fell off and probably is on his last leg. You know, the fact that they picked up his fifth year option and that contract is guaranteed and they don't gain anything by cutting him. He's going to get one more chance here, I think, to redeem himself. And, and I, I think that it is really imperative that the defensive coaching staff have a plan for how to resurrect Darnell Savage's career because we have invested a ton into this kid and he has so much talent and the mistakes he's making are so dumb and so easily fixable. I think that it is going to be coaching malpractice if they can't resurrect his career. But as of right now, Darnell Savage, he's not a hit. I wouldn't call him a miss because we did get at least two years of really good production from him that really benefited the defense. So he, he wasn't a miss, but he also wasn't a hit or has not been a hit yet. Now, Jace in round three, completely a miss. Um, and we have had trouble addressing the tight end position. Hopefully 2023 is the year that we can, uh, break that trend. Obviously f- discovering, um, what potential we had in Robert Tunyon in 2020 was huge and he definitely played a pivotal role for us, um, for the first half of the next year as well. Um, he is now gone and, and we'll, we'll, we'll probably have some time to talk about that at the end of this podcast, but, uh, Kingsley Kiki in round five for a fifth round, uh, defensive lineman. We got some really good production out of Kingsley. Now I have talked to family members of Kingsley's. The reason he's not on the team anymore, according to them is that he didn't want to be in green Bay anymore. He asked to be released it certainly surprised me at the time that he got released because I thought he was playing some of his best football. There is a, um, there are rumors out there that I cannot verify that Kingsley was suspended for, uh, off field conduct. I'm not going to con- comment on what that alleged off field conduct is because I can't verify it. And his, family members were quick to condemn 
that report. So I'm not going to talk about what it was <clears throat> because that is unfair to Kingsley for me to uh, put that out there into the universe about, well, here's what I heard he did when I can't back it up at all. But from a talent uh, aspect for a fifth round pick, Kingsley is, was, was definitely a hit. You got more production out of him than you would get out of most of the guys you would ever pick in the fifth round. And then after that, you know, you had Kadar Holman, who was a uh, special teams contributor for a while. Um, Dexter Williams, also in the sixth round, wasn't really a hit, unfortunately. Liked Dexter a lot, but it just never panned out. Then Ty Summers in the seventh round, there was a lot of frustration for people, um, including myself, about Ty Summers. But he was a special teams monster in terms of how much playing time he got. Now I thought that he was not always consistent or reliable. Come on. He's a seventh round pick. What do you expect? But he and Oren Burks, who was a definite miss. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of funny. You know, we're com comparing a third round linebacker and a seventh round linebacker. We got basically the same production out of both. Like for Ty Summers as a seventh round linebacker, that is like the ceiling of what you can ask for is a really solid um special teams contributor who plays like every snap of a special teams for basically four years and um and, and and was a huge part of what they were trying to accomplish on special teams. The 2019 draft aged really well at the time. Didn't really like it, but it aged really well. And then in 2020, I think was the peak of when I was, um, uh, really impressed with, with the, the vision and direction that Goody had for the Packers. Now people did not like the 2020 draft and admittedly it's not aging great so far. There were some hits. John Runyon in the sixth round, absolutely a stud. Jonathan Garvin in the seventh round, still on the team, still getting um, opportunities to contribute on defense. And it seems like the Packers defensive coaches still really like Garvin. Um, I think that uh, Jake Hansen and Steinman Stepniak were definite misses. Obviously with Stepniak, you know, the fact that he retired like a year into his career, um, certainly prohibits us from ever learning if he had it in him and was going to unlock it. But for a sixth round offensive lineman, you take three swings at offensive lineman and you hit on one guy who becomes one of the best guards in the NFL. That is a win. Kamal Martin in the fifth round was a miss. I didn't understand the Kamal Martin pick. And then he came in and played a lot better than I expected him to. And then like promptly got cut. <laughs> so I don't even know. It was a miss. I thought it was a bad pick. Your first three picks, Jordan Love, AJ Dillon, Josiah Aguara, have not as of yet um, validated where they were picked. Now, Jordan Love did not have the opportunity because he was blocked for three years by a Hall of Fame quarterback who was winning MVPs at the time. We're going to find out starting this year whether that was a uh, a pick well spent or not. I think timing-wise, it, it, it really was the right pick. Um, I think that you probably could have spent that pick a little bit better had you been more willing to be aggressive to trade up higher and grab Justin Jefferson, who we know was a guy they, they liked. 
they traded up to try and grab either Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, or Jordan Love. They felt like where we are sitting in the draft right now, those are the last three guys on the board who are worth picking the first round. We need to go. We have to get one of those three guys. Now, they were only able to find uh, the Dolphins as a trade partner. They spent a fourth-round pick to move up four spots. I think, in hindsight, seeing what Justin Jefferson became, seeing even what Brandon Ayuk... I don't know. I'm not a huge Ayuk fan. Justin Jefferson clearly was worth spending like an extra third or second to move up and get him. Brandon Ayuk, I think I really would have only been okay with spending that fourth round pick to move up. So the fact that they moved up and Brandon Ayuk was gone, you know, taking Jordan Love right there, I think was the right decision. The wrong decision, I think, was not being more aggressive to try and trade up and grab Justin Jefferson. Now, in hindsight, you can go back and, what do you call it, retcon? You can go back and retcon and say, well, the obvious pick was T. Higgins. Okay, Ryan on his on the main Packernet podcast has gone back and broken down on the show a couple different times the uh, mock drafts at the time from everybody else, from all the – this isn't just like cherry picking. It's looking at NFL mock draft database that – catalogs all of the um, the uh, mock drafts that are out there by anybody reputable at all. So you got the averages, you see, you know, uh, who do the fans most want, who do the writers most want, you know, the, the, the guys um, who have uh, inside sources, who do they think is going to be the Packers pick, and everybody's picking um, Denzel Mims and Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray. All right, these are the guys who were in the conversation. It was not T. Higgins. <laughs> T. Higgins was not thought of in that same air. And the fact that he was the first pick of the second round was unexpected. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I do remember two guys, Tom Grassi and Peter Bukowski, both were calling for the Packers to draft T. Higgins. But I, I'm almost positive that they were talking about them in in or talking about him in the second round for the Packers. I think Peter was saying that we need to go get him in the first round. 
Um, but Peter also said there were a bunch of other guys we need to go get in the first round. We'll just give him credit for the T Higgins one because T Higgins ended up being a good football player. Regardless, 2020, it all comes together. The defense is playing well. Um, you're starting to get contributions now from Rashawn Gary. You're starting to see that, ah, uh, I think he's special. I think he's going to be really special. This is peak Darnell Savage. He's playing quite well. This is Jair Alexander is the number one cornerback in the NFL. You have um, your uh, your big name free agent acquisitions kind of playing at their peak. You know, Billy Turner, I think, was the right tackle for that whole season. You know, despite the fact that, again, I really never liked Billy Turner, he played a substantial, substantial role. Adrian Amos um, was one of the best safeties in the league. Preston was having a down year in 2020, but Zedarius um, was still performing near the level that he had in 2019. And then on the offense, it's the number one offense in football. And you're getting humongous contributions from guys that um, Goody has drafted, from free agent studs that he has found. You know, Alan Lazard is the guy he brought in. Nobody thought Alan Lazard was going to be anything. This is, you know, basically the equivalent of us picking up uh, Jeff Cotton at the end of last season. I'm like, does anybody expect Jeff Cotton is going to do anything? If you do, you're, you know, not being very realistic in terms of how often these types of guys pan out. But Alan Lazard panned out, was a, you know, has become a massive part of the uh, Packers offense in 2020. You've got just this, this dominant crushing relentless offense that just piles up the points on everybody. And the huge difference on offense that is just really noticeable aside from the fact that um, everybody is all clearly on the same page and understanding here's what our role is. Here's why the timing matters. Um, aside from that, the, the huge difference that you see is Aaron Rodgers fully bought into the Matt LaFleur system. He is throwing on time everywhere on the field, leading guys, throwing them open, um, throwing to the guy that the play is designated for. He wins MVP. It is obviously completely deserved. This is a dominant, dominant football team from top to bottom, minus a pretty crappy special teams unit helmed by Sean Menenga. And I said at one point, like, I don't think that it can get much, much worse than where we're at. Little did I know. So this was the peak of me being bought in to what Brian Kudikins is trying to do. I like his vision. I like that he is trying to stock the team with freak athletes and really young players. He's building for the future. Now, couple things happened though. <laughs> First is COVID rolled around. And as a result of, of COVID, um, when they're trying to figure out what they're going to do for 2021, they don't have the financial flexibility that they thought they were going to have. They didn't have the financial flexibility that they normally have. And this is one of those um, really good learning opportunities where 
your takeaway should be don't bet on the future. This is sort of the a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Um, it, it also kind of lends to, you know, there's there's a some frustration from some people, um, and, and it kind of includes me, but like to a lesser extent now as I've thought about it more. But there's there's a somewhat of a, a frustration of with the fact that NFL teams devalue future draft picks so much. You know, basically a first round pick this year, or a first round pick next year is worth a second round pick this year. And that is there's this um, principle of I don't even remember what it's called, but I was watching a video the other day where they were showing how they uh, calculate. AI learning. So you have your AI and you're trying to um, program it to make the best decisions to increase your outcome in the future. All right. So the, they've got a bunch of different criteria and protocols that they want the AI to follow. But one of them is that they need the AI to understand that gains right now are better than that same amount of gains in the future. And the reason is because if you, if the AI makes a decision right now that like, Hey, I can go down um, route a or route B and route a has a reward of 10 right at the beginning and route B has a reward of 10 at the end. You need to take route a, if that's all the information that you have, to help you decide whether route A or route B is better. And why is that? <clears throat> well, the reason is because if you travel down route B, you don't know that you're going to get all the way to where that reward is. For example, um, you know, the, the AI knows that you can get to that value of 10 by going down route B, but there's going to be other forks in the road along the way. And you don't know down route B, which route you have to take to get to that value of 10. You know that there's a value of 10 down there. You know there's a value of 10 at the beginning of route A, but you don't know, you know, what what exact path you have to take down route B to get to that value of 10. And you also don't know what opportunities are going to be between here and the end of these routes to increase the value that you already have. And then Okay, so you have this opportunity to double your value right now. Well, if you had gone down route A, you have a value of 10, you can double it to a value of 20. If you go down route B, you have a value of zero and it's doubling to zero until you get to that value of 10 at the end of the path. So they have to program all that and there are a bunch of other reasons why um, there there is a lower value on the rewards that are further down the road as opposed to the rewards that are closer to where you are. Okay. I was making, I was planning on making this analogy all week and then I got to the end of the analogy and couldn't remember why I <laughs> had started explaining this. Like, okay, shoot, I have to tie this back into what I had just been talking about. Was this about acquiring future draft picks? No, no, this was about the Packers not having the cap space in 2021 that they really needed to stay fully competitive. And, you know, uh, in the 2020, at the end of the 2020 season, you're you know basically one play away from going to the Super Bowl and probably winning because you're going to go up against a 
not very good Chiefs team in the Super Bowl. And so you have to make a decision about, all right, do we think that if we run it all the way back, we're going to get to basically the same situation and then make the right decision here, you know, actually execute a play and get, then get that touchdown and win? Do we push all our chips into the table now and completely hamstring the future? Or do we take a more measured approach and rather than uh, saying, hey, screw uh, 2022 and 2023, we got to win right now in 2021. So what you have to do is you have to evaluate the value here and say, is what it's going to cost to, in our minds, maximize the value that we have right now worth the potential, giving up the potential growth in the future of, of staying competitive. Then, of course, you have Aaron Rodgers holding out and, you know, that lasts, what, like seven months that you're trying to get a, a resolution there between the Packers and Rodgers. And, and it was at this point that I'm watching the way Goody's doing the job. And I can understand the decisions he's making. I can understand that he feels like we're, we're like right there. Like the team isn't and can't get any better than they currently are because they're already the best. So what we need to do is just maintain that. And so I can understand that. And I, I didn't agree because I didn't think, hey, if we run it back, we're going to stay exactly as good. I, I didn't see that to be the case because we had already seen guys like specifically Zadaria Smith regressing from 2019 to 2020. And I thought, I don't like the direction he's going. And it doesn't make sense to me to give him more money to stick around for 2021 than we gave him in 2019 and 2020 when he's trending in the wrong direction. To me, that seems like a bad bet. I would rather kind of treat this the way we have treated the last couple of seasons, which is let's approach 2021 as its own team. Let's retool a couple of things. Let's cut our losses where we need to cut our losses, a.k.a. Zadarius. This was the biggest thing for me, is that I didn't think it was good value to retain Zadarius because I thought he was trending the wrong direction. He was significantly more expensive um, than he had been in the past. And now we had options because previously, if we had, you know, if we didn't have Zadarius in 2020, okay, well, Rashawn wasn't ready to take over. For 2021, there was absolutely no reason to think that Roshan couldn't be the guy. And yes, the idea of pairing a dominant Zadarius, even though he hadn't actually been dominant in 2020, and um, an emerging Roshan was very appealing. It was not appealing enough to me to stomach the cap hell we were going to start working ourselves into. And so this is when I, I start to... Um, question some of the processes that Goody is following to get to some of his decisions. And it, it felt in real time to me like a lot of his decisions were motivated by a need to inspire confidence in Matt LaFleur and in Aaron Rodgers and in the rest of the team <clears throat> that, hey, we're going to be as good this year as we were last year. And, and I, I didn't think that that was the right way to do it. I felt like you have a, a clear plan. 
right? You structured Zedarius's contract in such a way that there is a clear out at the exact time that Rashawn Gary comes into his own. All right. I also felt, you know, when we did trade for Randall Cobb, I felt like I don't understand why you're like, I understand why you're doing this. You know, the reason is that you're trying to keep Rogers happy and I get that. And I'm not even going to argue that, that you shouldn't have done it because yes, you do have to keep Rogers happy. However, I think it is a net negative for the team because you have Amari Rogers here and the plan very clearly right up until they traded for Randall Cobb, the plan very clearly was we want Amari to fill this role in the Packers offense. Now, was that going to work? That's really hard to say. All right. Amari ended up not working out in the, for the Packers long-term and they had to cut him. But his career with Green Bay clearly was mismanaged. And I, and I think that that Randall Cobb trade was a humongous part of that. So I think that you were essentially throwing away a third round pick and then nearly throwing around away a first round pick the following year when you decided to sign Aaron Rodgers to this long-term deal. Now, huge monkey wrench. Aaron wins MVP in 2020 and is clearly completely bought in to playing your offense the way it's designed. And it works perfectly and beautifully. At that point, you're thinking, yeah, that Jordan Love pick probably is never going to come to fruition because it doesn't sound like Aaron's going anywhere anytime super soon. He just won MVP. He's kind of back to, like, this is basically exactly what we wanted. Then the draft day report comes out that he's disgruntled. He holds out for months. I guess it couldn't have been seven months because we only found out about it in April. And then I think he returned to the team in in July. So that's just three months. All right. So it wasn't that long. Um, obviously, you know, the, the team was aware of his frustration well before draft day, but the public wasn't. So the public had three months of of this long wait. But I really was frustrated because it was very clear for a while there that the Packers had a split management. You had Aaron Rodgers and what he wanted, and you had Brian Gutekunst and what he wanted, and those two visions just didn't work together. And I really lost a lot of confidence in the direction of the team before the 2021 season. I didn't like the way they were going. I didn't think that the team was going to be as good as they were in 2020, which, which was kind of an obvious thing to expect. But um, it, it seemed like the team thought they were going to be as good, and I, I never bought into that. And then... You know, at the conclusion of the 2021 season, you know, a lot of stuff has gone wrong. You bet big on we will be as good as we were the previous year. And then what happened? You had a bunch of injuries. Zedarius ended up not being able to play basically the entire season. He played like a quarter in week one and then played, I think, like three quarters in that playoff game, but missed the entire rest of the season. Jair misses a humongous chunk of the season. Um, the offense takes a significant step back and it is very apparent that a big part of the reason why they took a step back is because Aaron is no longer doing exactly what he did in 2020 and no longer trusts the scheme the same way he did in 2020. I'm not going to speculate about why it is that he no longer trusts it, 
Um, I know uh, uh, Clayton has spent a lot of time talking about how Matt LaFleur's offensive scheme has uh, kind of fallen a bit behind and needs to be freshened up. And and I don't want to put any more words in Clayton's mouth and speak for him, but that's my general understanding of what he has been trying to say. And I think that there is certainly some element of truth to that. But also Aaron was playing differently than he had in 2020, making different decisions from the ones he was consistently making in 2020. And that was one of the factors that can, that led to a less productive offense in 2021, which is why it surprised and frustrated me a lot that Gudkunst and Murphy felt compelled to bend over backwards to cater to Rogers' demands as far as his contract went. And I really wasn't and still am not mad at the fact that we retained Aaron in 2022 and gave him the contract that we did. I'm still not mad about it. I don't think it was the right move, but I don't think it was like so egregious that, you know, you can't justify doing it. But I was really frustrated by one thing, and that was that quite clearly Brian Gudekinst had given up on his initial plans for the Packers and that there you had a this um, marriage of a hybrid Rogers Gudekinst vision for the team. And I complained at length about this during the 2022 uh, regular season when it was clear that things just weren't working. And obviously a lot of of it showed itself in the way that the uh, wide receiver room was constructed. Goody and Rogers clearly did not agree on how uh, how the receiver room was going to be handled. That, hey, I signed this deal with you despite the fact that Devante is leaving because I have assurances that you're going to address the wide receiver room. And, you know, and, and Aaron even talked about the fact that, like, look, you know, they clued me in on which receivers in this draft they felt were worth a first-round pick. There's, I think, six guys, five or six guys, something like that, and none of them were available um, by the time we were on the board. So, you know, I understood that. So then they trade up to get Christian Watson. Then they go trade for – or uh, trade uh, – draft Romeo Dobbs. And you do have some high expectations. You know, Rodgers really liked Dobbs. Um, in uh, in training camp, talked a lot about the fact that you know this guy is different; that he's special; that he kind of has it. Um, you know, has, and with it being something that he has only seen in, um, you know, the the receivers who went on to be superstars for the Packers. But you've got Sammy Watkins talking about. Man, how excited he is to be here to play with Aaron. And then later talking about sure would be nice if Aaron spent more time with us. Um, and, and Aaron was clearly not on the same page with his receivers, was not spending the time with them in the offseason that I believe was necessary to help them develop. All right. And it's not all just about, Hey, you know, I think Aaron needs to play better or Hey, I think, um, you know, these receivers and Aaron need to be more on the same page with each other and understanding each other better. It's also these receivers 
need to be better football players than what they currently are. And the best possible way to do that is learn a lot from your Hall of Fame quarterback who's going to be throwing to you all season. Learn at his feet, spend a lot of time with him, and I, I think that was really necessary. And you weren't getting that out of Rodgers. And I think that that clearly was a result of Goody and Rodgers not being on the same page. That, like, look, this is what is needed in order to make this wide receiver room work. And Rodgers is like, I don't think this is enough. He was really frustrated that he had to throw to Amari Rodgers, who he really didn't like. He was really frustrated that Sammy Watkins was running the wrong route and um, you know receivers were running into each other. Now, 2023, Brian Gutekunst has made one thing very clear, and that is that this is his team once again. In uh, in the 2021 offseason, that was not the case. All right, Things drastically changed. There was a ton of catering to make Aaron happy at the cost of, you know what? I still like my plan, but let's abandon my plan here and add in these things that Aaron wants and, and let Aaron approve what the offense is going to look like and approve what Play calls can be in the offense. And we've heard this from multiple, multiple, multiple sources. Um, some of them, you know, being players who are in the locker room talking about <laughs> Matt LaFleur, uh, pitching a, a concept in a meeting for, you know, something he wants to do with the offense. And Aaron just saying, now we're not going to do that. But Gudkunst has communicated to Aaron. This is from Aaron's lips that listen, we would love to have you back. But if you're back, there's going to be demands and expectations that I have of you. Among them, uh, I'm communicating to you that, hey, I'm probably not bringing your buddies back. Is that okay? Can you be here without having your buddies here? Or is that going to be a big problem? Because I'm done with this. I'm done with, hey, let's retain every aging guy who may or may not still be able to play football, whether or not it's going to block a young guy that I really want to see on the field because they're friends with you and you trust them and you feel like, Hey, if I'm going to win a Super Bowl, I want Randall Cobb standing next to me, winning that Super Bowl with me. All right. I'm sorry, but if my name is Brian Gutekunst, that is not a priority for me. I don't care if Randall Cobb wins a Super Bowl. I care if the Green Bay Packers win a Super Bowl and I don't think that Randall Cobb, if I'm Goody, this is not JJ speaking, this is very clearly, <laughs> over the years, this is Goody speaking, I don't think that Randall Cobb moves the needle for us toward winning a Super Bowl. So I'm really happy that Goody has a plan and a vision for the Packers and that he is sticking with it. Because over the last two years, I think the team has gotten dramatically worse. In 2021, in 2022, I think the team has gotten worse. And... There was a noticeable difference from uh, 2018, 19, and 20 when it was the Brian Gutekunst show. And the team got dramatically better from 18 to 19 to 20. Three years of straight, continued, drastic, measurable growth. Then 
The juncture point is the 2021 offseason, and this is when Aaron demands to have a bigger input in how things are done. And also, due to COVID and, and due to the uncertainty around Aaron and due to trying to placate Aaron and make sure that he is happy with the direction of the team, Brangudkin's decision-making process changes. And from 2020 to 2021 to 2022, the team got measurably worse for three straight years. I guess that, I guess that's uh, two straight years. 2021 it got worse. 2022 it got worser. And then he pumped the brakes and he said, all right, enough of that. This is not what I want to do. And it's not what we're going to do anymore. Um, we tried it your way, Aaron. And we're going to do things my way now. And I would love for you to be a part of that if you want to. But that means you're going to have to agree to my demands. My demands are, number one, I'm not going to keep your buddies around anymore. Number two, the way your contract is currently set up, it does not allow us to bring you back for 2023 and then be done. Like you have to be here for 2024 or take a pay cut or something in order to make this a viable option for our books because it is not possible for us to keep you in 23 and then be done. That scenario doesn't work because the dead cap at that point, if you retire after the 2023 season, hamstrings our ability to retain any of the guys we want to retain going forward. Cause we're going to get smacked with $90 million in, uh, in dead cap. And then from, from Goody's own lips, he has said with how much we have paid Aaron and the investment that we have made into him, we want our players to be present and engaged in our off season programming. That's from Goody's lips. You don't have to agree that that is important to the offense's success for Aaron to be, um, you know, showing up to OTAs. Doesn't matter if you agree. The GM says, this is one of my demands. If you're going to be back, I want you to be involved in the offseason programming. So we're going to see. Um, I, I, it sounds from everything that I have heard, sounds like Aaron or, uh, Brian is indeed playing hardball with the Jets. He has very, specific demands of the minimum compensation that he would accept for Aaron Rodgers. It sounds like it's, it is sounds like it is value that he considers to be equal to two first round picks. And that one of those first round picks has to be uh pick 13 this year. Now that does not mean two first round picks, but it means value that he considers equal to two first round picks, AKA, Number 13 this year plus, um, pick and player compensation that adds up to what I perceive to be the value of a first round pick. And it sounds like he doesn't have any intention of moving off of that. That look, um, you know, you guys think you're going to win a Super Bowl with Aaron. Um, guess what? You're going to. You're going to pay what I think he's worth, and I think he's worth two first-round picks. And if I'm going to get less than you know, what you're asking for, guess what? 
I signed him to this contract with with the intention that he could play it out. All right. My books are not set up in such a way that we will die if we have to keep him on our books and and keep him in Green Bay. We will survive that. You know what? And if and if one of the greatest players of all time for the Packers ends up retiring a Packer instead of a Jet, oh well, I guess that's something I'm going to live with. But I'm not going to be taken for a ride. I'm not going to have other GMs around the league trying to negotiate with me in the future and go, eh, you know, <laughs> remember that time when he had Aaron freaking Rodgers available and he was trying to do a trade and then he couldn't even get what he was asking for for Aaron freaking Rodgers? No way in the world am I, you know, bending the knee and, and giving up what he's asking for, uh, you know, whatever trade we're trying to execute down the future. I know I can talk him down. All right, there's a um, – oh, shoot. Who is it? Hang on. I've got it. Uh... Jeez, here it is. Okay. <laughs> I had to look for that forever. forever. Uh, Peter King is the guy who wrote about uh, how the Devontae Adams trade negotiations went down. And I went and, and verified with a couple people that um, have inside information uh, with the Raiders and with the Packers. And – you know, verified that this is indeed basically how it went down, that Goody was insisting that he wanted <clears throat> a first and a second round pick in 2022 for Devontae Adams. And the problem is the Raiders have a brand new GM. He's never been able to, to make a pick in the draft before. This is the first year. And he's like, listen, I'll give up a first round pick for Devontae and I'll give you picks in the future. Apparently he offered a first round pick in 2023, but um, Goody was saying, no, in order to stay competitive in 2022, I really want that extra second round pick this year. And I'm willing to take that instead of a first round pick next year. This is the price, a first and a second this year. And, uh, Ziegler, the new GM for the Raiders is saying, dude, I'm not waiting until the third freaking round to make my first ever pick <laughs> as an NFL GM. I can't do that. And Goody basically is just like, uh, I don't know what to tell you. That's the price. If you want Devante, that's the price. <clears throat> and so the the Raiders caved and they um, gave in and said, all right, fine, we'll do it. I like that Goody is, you know, he's a, he's a hard ass. He plays hardball. You are going to give me the value that I say this player is worth or you're not getting the player. He's got a vision for what he wants going into the future. He likes freak athletes. He likes young players. All right. He wants to be a fast, young team with an attitude. All right. Think about the players that he drafted last year in the, in the first, uh, uh, three rounds. Sorry. Uh, first two rounds. First three picks in the two rounds. You have these two Georgia defenders. Both of them have, um, big attitudes. They got chips on their shoulders. They come from an environment in college of winning. Winning is all they know. Devontae Wyatt has um, a, a somewhat colorful past, all right? He um, uh, had a, a slight, slightly violent incident on his track record where he, I guess, broke down the door of a girl. Um, and, you know, what was the reason why he broke down the, gir the girl's door? I don't know. 
The Packers were concerned about it. They brought Devontae in. They asked him to explain what went on. Apparently he was very remorseful and, you know, committed to learning from his mistake and, um, you know, not engaging in behavior like that again. All right. Quay Walker, clearly bit of a hothead was penalized, uh, not penalized, was ejected twice last year for, uh, shoving people who were not even football players during the game. Goody, I'm sure was not happy about that. Not thrilled at all. But he wants young guys who have a chip on their shoulder, uh, who are chippy. He, you know, Jair punched a tight end in the throat. <laughs> Rashawn Gary, incredibly motivated, driven, violent guy. Zadarius, I mean, just, you know, uh, lovable and nice, at least until he kind of went weird, went to the Vikings and all that, but just scares the absolute snot out of you. Incredibly mean and violent on the football, t- uh, football field. Christian Watson, an alien of an athlete. And I didn't think that he was a good football player in college. Goody said, I don't care. I like what his body can do. And we will bring him in here and we will teach him how to play football. This makes me think that a guy like uh, Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia, who apparently the Packers have huge questions about. They brought him in for an official visit. Uh, what was it? Tuesday. Um, this is a guy who has a past. He punched his coach, um, who was apparently not only his coach, but it was also his mentor. So he punched the guy. Um, I guess there was, uh, uh, issues, uh, alleged issues with fake scholarships, something like that. And I've heard from three different sources now that apparently the Packers don't think that he's that good of a football player, but he's an alien athlete. So you bring him in, you talk to him, ask him about, you know, these, these, uh, colorful stories from your past. Talk to me about punching the coach. Have you learned anything from that? Uh, is this going to, is, is this the kind of behavior that we can expect from you? Is this who you are? All right, Devontae Wyatt was able to convince them, nope, this is not who I am anymore. I really regret doing this stupid thing in the past. You're never going to hear anything like that about me ever again. You're never going to see me getting hot-headed and not thinking and, and doing something stupid because I learned my lesson. And wow, that was stupid of me to do that. You know, maybe maybe you have these meetings with Darnell Washington and it convinces you you know what? Let's bet on his upside. Let's bet on the fact that he's a six foot seven. What is it? 285 pound tight end with a like 13 foot wingspan. <laughs> I don't know. Something stupid, like an eight foot wingspan. Um, who can just snag a ball, you know, that's thrown nowhere near him and bring it down. Uh, you know what? Like, do you bet on the upside there? Maybe Goody does. I, I, I actually would lean toward that he probably is really trying to convince himself that this is a player that you, that you should bet on. I, I mean, clearly that is, that's where he's at because otherwise, why would you bring him in for a visit? Don't talk to me about smoke screens. The Packers don't smoke screen. You have so few, uh, official visits that you can conduct and, and such precious little time. I mean, he's taking time <laughs> away from these Rogers trade negotiations with the Jets. To go meet with a player who's just a smokescreen? Get out of here. That's silly. I got a couple more things that I want to touch on real quick. One is 
Um, the David Bakhtiari trade idea. All right. Now, full disclosure right up front. Um, it, it, the, the fact that they restructured Bakhtiari's contract makes this conceptual trade very, um, inhibitive. All right. It's, it's extremely unlikely. However, uh, Clayton, so, so you know, our, the, the guys at, uh, Packernet have a, uh, a Discord server that we're all in. And, and Clayton threw out the question there of like, how possible is it, uh, that the Packers would trade Bakhtiari to the Jets? And it is, it is worth exploring the idea because the Jets do not have a good offensive line. And if you are serious about bringing in Aaron Rodgers, I think you need to be serious about making sure that he has a good offensive line, keeping him upright. Because if he, you know, breaks his collarbone in week five or whatever, I mean, this is all for nothing. And you have screwed the future of your team for absolutely nothing. Okay. So, yep. Trading Bakhtiari is, puts you in like the worst cap hell you can imagine for 2023. I went ahead and, and did the math. And I'm actually just going to read out loud what I wrote in the Discord so that I don't have to spend extra words <laughs> paraphrasing. Okay, I said anything is possible if you're willing to accept the consequences. To Clayton's point, could he be included? Absolutely. Just feels unlikely that the Packers would stomach swallowing that big of a cap hit. Goose asked, what would our cap look like next year? I said, well, 2023 would incur $25.52 million extra cap hit. We currently have just a hair over $20 million as far as I know. So after pushing out some more money elsewhere to make up that 5 million plus the other operating expenses we need, like signing the draft class, assuming this is all a pre June one deal, you'd be freeing up $81.284 million in 2024 between Aaron and Bakhtiari. So Next year, in 2024, you would start the season off with $98,373,000 in cap space minus probably roughly maybe $15 million that you had to push out from 2023 into 2024. So you're still sitting on you're, – like you're, you're walking into the beginning of the 2024 season with like $83 million in cap space. $83 million next year if you traded Aaron and Bakhtiari this year. Now it's extremely painful because you have to, um, I mean, you got to like restructure everybody to the max and they've already done most of that. You're, you are flipping over couch cushions looking for pennies and nickels that you can go, <laughs> that you can, uh, use to free up this, this cap space. It is brutal. You would, uh, I mean, you'd be looking for guys to cut, but then you start next year completely clean slate with $83 million. So I I think that it is an idea worth talking about. I think it's extremely unlikely that it will happen, but there's definitely not a 0% chance that it happens. The problem is that you would need tremendous compensation from the Jets in order to make this move because of all the tough decisions you'd have to make in 2023. Uh, cutting guys, max restructuring guys, adding max void years to like everybody to try and make this work. You would need 
a minimum, I think, of a first round pick, an, an extra first round pick in order to do this. So I think, you know, you're, you're already playing hardball with the Jets and saying, we need pick 13 this year and we need a young player like Jermaine Johnson. Guess what? You're also going to throw in, um, you know, a, a 2024 first round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick in order to get Bakhtiari included. And one of the problems here is that apparently one of the sticking points between the Jets and the Packers, not only is there just like the trade compensation, but also the Jets really want the Packers to eat some more of Aaron's contract for 2023 prior to making this deal. You are not doing that if you're including David Bakhtiari because you have, as I said, you have left yourself with pennies, pennies. I mean, we're talking middle of the year. Um, you know, your your starting safety breaks his leg. Tough. We cannot go get a free agent safety. <laughs> we can't do it. We can't even pay him veteran minimum. We are promoting a guy from the practice squad and having him play safety at that point. Like that's how little money you have. <sighs> I wanted to talk about the Lamar Jackson situation. I definitely don't have time to do that today. Um, I don't think I really have time to do any of these other topics that I have, which is a shame because there's some darn interesting content, uh, uh, topics here. And I already have an interview lined up for the podcast for next week, but some stuff that I want to talk about is our current receiver room. I want to talk about whether the Packers are in a rebuild or a reload situation here in 2023. Um, and I want to talk about some draft prospects here and, and like comparing, um, Brian Gutekunst's standards with Ted Thompson's standards for draft prospects. I thought that would be an interesting one to talk about. And I guess what I will do, and I want to talk about the NFC North as well. I guess what I will do is spend just a couple minutes here talking about Lazard and Tunyon leaving. Right now, we don't know if uh, Mercedes Lewis is going to be back or not. From what I have heard, the Packers are making a concerted effort to bring back two veterans, Adrian Amos and... Uh, Mercedes Lewis. Now with Mercedes, it all comes down to whether he's going to go follow Aaron to the Jets or if he's going to come back to Green Bay. It sounds like the Packers really want Mercedes back this year because they intend on drafting a tight end or tight ends. And they want these young tight ends to learn from Mercedes. He is, when he plays in 2023, <clears throat> he will be setting the NFL record for the longest tight end career in history. He's currently tied, I think it's 17 seasons with, oh, for crying out loud, this is the Cowboys guy and the Chiefs guy, uh, both super famous tight ends. What the heck are their names? Jason Witten and Tony Gonzalez. So it's a three-way tie between those two guys and Mercedes Lewis, they're all at 17 seasons. So Mercedes is going to set the record. <laughs> I just looked at their career receptions. This is funny. Uh, so Jason Witten has 12,028 career receptions. Tony Gonzalez, 13,025 career receptions. Mercedes Lewis, 432. <laughs> He's got a third as many receptions. Oh my gosh. And basically a third as many yards. Wow. That's, uh, that's kind of funny. Um, he's got a little bit more than a third career 
receiving yards per game. As far as touchdowns go, he's got 39. Jason Witten has 74. Tony Gonzalez has 111. Anyways, so um, he knows how to take care of his body and have a long NFL career. He is a consummate professional, knows how to carry himself. Um, a lot of folks have talked about Mercedes being like the wisest man in the locker room. Um, Aaron has, has talked up how wise Mercedes is, especially if you got a young hothead like Darnell Washington, who has some growing up to do. Absolutely. Mercedes is a guy you want him working with all year. Learn at the feet of Mercedes Lewis. Uh, you know, he's still got some left in the tank as far as being able to play football still at high level. And then the, the veteran leadership and wisdom and guidance and training that he can provide to your young tight ends, I think is, is really crucial. You know, and, and I like Josiah DeGuara, obviously. Um, seems like he's still, uh, well liked by the Packers. Uh, Jace Sternberger really struggled with immaturity issues. They've, they have always, really struggled to to address the tight end position in Green Bay. It's been, I mean, forever. I mean, Jermichael Finley, clear, I think, really is the last, you know, halfway decent tight end we ever had. Um, and no, I'm not counting Robert Tunyon. He had one decent season in 2020, and it just was a year where he happened to have a, an absurdly high number of touchdowns to receptions. Kind of like uh, Christian Watson last year. Um, like, you know, love Christian. Um, but he has to, to take a step forward if he wants to still have a high number of touchdowns this year, because the touchdown to reception ratio that he had last year is like unsustainable. It would be like, you know, if Devonte Adams had the same number of touchdowns to receptions, it would be something like a 50 touchdown season, like just, just unsustainable, unrealistic numbers. So, you know, can he be good? Yes, absolutely. But um, you know, he's not going to have the same number of touchdowns to receptions. And that's kind of the same situation that Robert Tunyon had in 2020. It was unsustainable. It's why, um, I didn't touch Tunyon in any fantasy leagues in my, you know, the 2021 fantasy draft didn't touch him at all. And, you know, thought clearly he was going to have a, a regression year and he did, um, you know, and, and so now he has gone and signed with the bears sign with them for pennies, which is, I find really interesting. You know, I look at the guys that we have already lost in free agency, uh, Tunyon, Al Nazard, uh, uh, Chris Barnes. Uh, who's the other guy? Oh, uh, Jaron Reed, Dean Lowry. Like, are you actually disappointed about any of these losses? I mean, yeah, you would have liked to see Al Nazard stick around. You would have kind of liked to see, uh, Tunyon or Dean Lowry stick around, but how much does it move the needle for you that we don't have them? Like how hard is it to replace Dean Lowry? I don't think it's that hard. I liked Dean more than most fans did, but is it really going to be that hard to replace what Dean Lowry ever did for us? I don't think so. I think you can replace him for cheaper than it had cost to keep him. You know, and Al Lazar got $44 million for the Jets from, for four years. He's, he's currently, the highest paid, uh, 2023 free agent wide receiver. I would expect Odell to surpass him, but that would be about it. So Alan Zard's going to end up being the second highest paid wide receiver in free agency this year. So that's a pretty big deal. 
you know, would you have paid 11 million bucks a year to keep Alan Lazard? Heck no. I mean, half the fan base didn't even want him back period uh, because they were frustrated with how he played in 2022. Um, and, and I don't think that there was ever any chance that he was going to stick around because it sure sounded like he was pretty much done with putting up with green Bay, you know, in, in his mind that he was frustrated with them and wasn't feeling the love and didn't want to be back. You know, and, and I like the pickup for the Bears of Tunyon. I think that that's good for the Bears. And it surprises me that he signed for so little. He's getting $2.6 million for 2023. Uh, $1.25 million guaranteed. That's, that's not a lot. I'm, I was a little surprised the Packers weren't willing to pay that much. But I was, I was okay with it. Because, like, you look at... You look at uh, our tight end situation right now. You don't have Mercedes. Hopefully he'll be back. But even if he, um, even if he is back, you know, Mercedes and DeGuara is not enough. You need more. You need to go draft a guy. And, and I think the Packers are absolutely intending to draft a, a receiver. Goody talked about where this draft class is, is deep. Uh, I got the clip right here. How does this particular draft class match up for the needs you anticipate? I think it's good. I think it's we're early in the process. Um, there's a number of players that would really fit kind of our profile. And uh, so I think it's this will be a good draft to, to help the Green Bay Packers. Position-wise, where might it be strong or not so strong? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the tight end class looks like a little deeper than maybe it has been in the past. But this seems to be like a deeper class than, than it has been uh, at the edge rusher position, you know, along with corner. I think uh, um, we've seen more numbers maybe than we have um, all the time. So I do, I do think that they're going to be okay losing Tunyon and Lazard. I, it, I, th- I think it's a, a negative to lose who Lazard has been for us in the past. I don't think it's a negative to lose the Lazard that we would have gotten in 2023 because you were going to have to pay him you know, a lot of money, basically comparable to what the Jets or, or more than what the Jets paid him in order to have him come back here and be happy to be here. And he wasn't happy to be here last year. And that's, that was evident in the way he played. He didn't want to be out there. He didn't like playing with the Packers. He didn't like putting his body on the line and feeling disrespected because he wasn't getting paid $11 million. You know, he, he tried to hold out for that kind of money and the Packers were like, uh, nope. You are going to play for the tender that we offer to you, or you're not going to play anywhere in the NFL this year or going forward. Like this is just what it is. And he was upset about that and didn't want to be here. And it was evident in the way he played. And I think it was the right call by the Packers. I don't, you, you shouldn't have paid $11 million for, you know, the, the kind of player that he has been for us in the past. So I certainly wish him luck, but it just wasn't an option anymore. So I think that they need to draft a, uh, a guy, you know, it sounds like they really like Jalen Hyatt. Um, I really like Jackson Smith and Jigba. We'll see. He's uh, doing his pro day right now. I'm sure by the time this episode gets posted, I'm sure we'll know what uh, Jackson's 40 time is. And like, it would have to be like a four, six, five or something or worse to not have him be a guy that the Packers are going to be really considering in, in, in my opinion. So, you know, I mean, if, if he even runs just like a, Mid to late four fives, I think that he's one of your your big options. Uh, I think that you know you need to add uh, a piece like that to kind of replace what you've had from 
from Lazard in the past. And, you know, do the Packers still want to go with that big slot option? There's, there's guys like that in this draft as well. And, and I think that overall, this is a better, uh, draft class for the Packers to choose from than what they had available last year. You know, it's not as, as top heavy. It's not, but it's a lot deeper. I thought that the draft class last year was not very deep. Um, you know, you, you essentially really had the guys who went early in the first round, um, Olave and Wilson and, and, uh, uh, Drake London. And then, you know, maybe you like Jamison Williams. Maybe you didn't. I didn't really love him that much. You, know, you have those options to choose from. And then after that, it's like kind of, you know, in terms of guys who actually fit what the Packers are looking for, it's, it was Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and, that was it. <laughs> like they got the guys. Uh, uh, Jacob Morley pointed out that Kevin Austin was a guy who fit their mold as well, as was Bo Melton and Samori Toure. Well, guess what? Bo Melton and Samori Toure are both on the Packers roster right now. So they got, you know, four out of the five guys in those, any, any kind of, you know, non early first round pick territory who fit the Packers thresholds. Four of those five are on the Packers roster. And do I like Samori Toure or Bo Melton very much? I, I haven't seen anything from them yet to make me excited about what they can do. I hope that they, that they really surprise me and put on a good show, um, you know, this off season and show that they really have taken a big leap and that they are maximizing these, these physical tools that they have and, and, playing football at a high level. I would love to see that. But I think that this is a better wide receiver class for the Packers to choose from. Okay, I'm way over time, and um, I could keep talking all day because I have so many other things on my list that I want to talk about. But I'm going to wrap it up and get out of here. You all have a fantastic day, and I will talk to you next week on the Packernet Podcast Network.